Welcome to He's Dead Jim, the podcast where we travel back through Star Trek, the original series, one episode at a time. I'm Mick McConnell, and please welcome my awesome New York pal, Emily Lind. Hello. How are you, Emily? I'm not too bad. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Are you ready to talk about Shakespeare? I am ready to talk about some really bad Shakespeare. <laughs> I um, I know... So this week's episode is The Conscience of the King, uh, which is heavily Shakespeare-themed. I know very little about Shakespeare other than, um, you know, I saw the Romeo and Juliet movie in high school, the one with the Baz Luhrmann, Baz Luhrmannized. Um, I, I don't know, I wasn't into much in high school English, so <laughs> it's not surprising that... I didn't uh, get into Shakespeare. What, so you, on the other hand, you have read a lot of Shakespeare? Yeah. I mean, I've read pretty much all the major ones and some of the more minor ones, and I've seen a lot, either like staged or movies. Cool. So you've actually you've seen it live on stage. Oh, yeah. Which is where I'm told the magic happens. I mean, depending... On whether it's any good or not. I've seen a lot of bad Shakespeare. Have you seen William Shatner doing Shakespeare on YouTube? I have not seen that. I went down a went down a rabbit hole this morning, um, which started with watching Shatner doing Shakespeare and then next minute I'm watching Shatner on Late Night with Conan O'Brien and then I've watched a heap of Rodney Dangerfield on Carson, <laughs> so um, typical YouTube tangent. So I didn't learn much about Shakespeare, um, but I know that Gene uh, Roddenberry, obviously a huge fan of Shakespeare, um, he employed William Shatner at, to play Captain Kirk, who's a thespian. Patrick Stewart uh, is uh, a, a very distinguished Shakespearean actor. I have seen Patrick Stewart on stage, not doing Shakespeare, unfortunately. What was but he I doing? Saw, um, I saw two shows that he and um, Ian McCallan were doing. Oh, wow. It was because they were doing this run where they were switching back and forth between two plays. And they were doing Waiting for Gatto. And they were doing uh, the Pinter show No Man's Land. And they were both incredible. Fantastic. So Ian McKellen played Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, is that right? Yes. For uncultured yes. people like me. So in high school, how, when, I assume this, this happens the world over in English-speaking countries where you're forced to open up Shakespeare books and read them out in English, how, how did you respond to that in high school? Um, I am... I enjoyed like reading it, but it's really painful to read to, to hear people reading Shakespeare badly, which is what you get in most of high school. Yeah, you get a frustrated English teacher that potentially wanted to be a, in a Shakespeare company rather than being stuck in a small town English class. Well, uh, you also I, just have—I mean, you have kids who have no idea what it means and aren't particularly interested in learning yeah that was me i found it pretty inaccessible 
I will say there is, because Macbeth plays a big part in this one, there is a filmed version of basically like a, it's an adapted from the stage version. So it's pretty much like the film version of the play of Macbeth that Patrick Stewart is in. You can find online fairly easily. It's from like, like, I don't know, like maybe five or 10 years ago. It's worth tracking down. Cool. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make that my homework for this week so I can learn about Macbeth. So yeah, this week's episode's The Conscience of the King. Uh, it's uh, episode 14 from season one or uh, 15, episode 15 on Netflix. And our star date, which we know star date's pretty irrelevant at the moment. It's star date 2817.6, a random number. Uh, directed by Jerry Oswald and written by Barry Trivers, if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, I, I was expecting this to be a, another one written by Eugene Roddenberry. I'm guessing he had a um, big hand in all those eps anyway, but I assume he would have taken a particular interest in the Shakespeare one. So the episode opens with Shakespeare's Macbeth stabbing some dude. <laughs> That's my um, the extent of my Shakespeare knowledge. So Kirk's in the audience and he's sitting next to a guy wearing an eye patch who suddenly says, that man on stage, I'm certain of it. That's Kodos, the executioner. So we know that the, we learn that the Enterprise has been diverted from a scheduled course to Earth Colony Signia Minor to confirm the discovery of a totally new synthetic food, which could totally end the threat of famine. Uh, but unfortunately, Dr. Thomas Slayton, which uh, is the man with the eye patch, he lied about the discovery in order to lure Kirk to the planet. Um, and just wants Kirk to see this man who is who he believes is Kodos, the executioner. Um, Kirk confronts Dr. Layton at his house and says, you know, what am I supposed to put in my log about this, that you lied and diverted a starship with false information? You're not only in trouble, but you've put me in trouble too. Um, so I guess, firstly, on my understanding of Macbeth is... Um, Macbeth was a like a Scottish knight. He goes to some witches to get a prophecy or something. They tell him that uh, he's destined to be king of Scotland. So he kills the king, and then he bad things feels, happen. Bad things happen. He feels guilty about it. Um, he does more bad things in order to protect himself, and then um, I don't know what happens in the end. But his wife. Does his wife do bad stuff as well, Lady Macbeth? She basically is the one talking him into doing it. Uh, I see. Even from the start? Is he married to Lady Macbeth before he kills the king? Yes. Yeah. She spurs him on and gets him to kill Duncan, um, yeah. Okay, okay. So I guess we've got a an episode that features a Shakespeare play company that starts off with them doing performing Macbeth, uh, but it's also got parallels in the episode from Macbeth, uh, and it's also 
seems to be an episode to me about, well, obviously it's an episode about war crimes. We've got, we'll learn a bit more about Kodos, the executioner. Dr. Layton says to Kirk, I did it to trap Kodos. Kirk says, Kodos is dead. And the doctor says, is he? Is anyone sure? A body burned beyond recognition. And Kirk says, Tom, the authorities closed the book on that case years ago. And the doctor says, Jim, 4,000 people were butchered. I remember him, that voice, that bloody thing he did. And then we get dramatic music as uh, Dr. Layton turns to reveal that his eye patch is actually more of a like uh, a whole face patch that covers you know, most of the left side of his head. Um, so he's been, he's got a, a serious war injury. And uh, the doctor says, there were only eight or nine of us who actually saw Kodos. I was one. You, Kirk, were another. And Kirk says he's dead. And then the doctor says, then it will be a ghost Martha and I receive in our home tonight. And we learn that Dr. Layton's invited the entire Shakespeare company to a cocktail party at his house. Kirk says, uh, I have to get back to my ship and try to figure out how to enter all of this in my log. Uh, so I guess we've got an episode here that's not only about Shakespeare, but it's also about war crimes and prosecuting war criminals. So for me, I sort of saw a lot of parallels with Nazi war criminals and I guess with, with Hitler, you've got a, a guy who, you know, they, they weren't able to bring to trial because of a, you know, he killed himself and you had a burnt body. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty heavy. Very for heavy. Just an hour of TV about spaceships. Yeah, yep. And I guess it does sort of, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a fascinating episode, and I, I guess it is a. Uh, it's interesting having the Shakespeare parallel as they're delivering what turns out to be a tragedy. And it's funny because one of the things that really sticks out to me whenever whenever they do this sort of thing in Star Trek, which continues on through Next Generation stuff too, which is how very human the galaxy is in terms of. There's just like they're a traveling Shakespeare company. That's right. Don't they? I think in one of the movies, the Klingons are big fans of Shakespeare. I think there's even a Klingon that says, Oh, you haven't experienced Shakespeare until you've heard it in the original Klingon. Yeah, there is. I know they actually published Hamlet in Klingon. Wow. Like you can buy it. So I think the the title, I think I read the title of this ep, The Conscience of the King, is a line from Hamlet. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the, the oh yeah, it's the, the play is a thing to catch the conscience of the king, because that's uh, when they're having, when Hamlet is believes that um, Claudius killed his dad, the idea is they'll have these actors portray a very similar situation. And then like by watching him, I'll know that we, he actually did it. And it'll be like the way to get him to, to confess. Ah, I see. So plenty of, plenty of parallels coming up in this. Ep. 
back on the ship, Kirk's uh, talking to the library computer and examining, uh, he's going through information about former Governor Kodos of Tarsus IV, also known as Kodos the Executioner. Um, no information exists on the actor Anton Crudian prior to the year of Kodos's death. Uh, Kirk compares photos of the two. They do look very similar. Um, Spock enters and says Dr. Layton is a good empirical research scientist. He's steady, he's reputable, and occasionally brilliant. So Kirk's trying to, I guess, get some feedback on the doctor's judgment. Um, so it sounds like he's, he's not prone to rash decisions. But uh, it's a long time ago. It sounds like 20 years have, have passed and Kirk really wants to be sure. Hey, you know, I have a question. Yeah. Do you watch The Simpsons? Yes. Oh, well, I, I did watch The Simpsons. I haven't watched it much in recent years. Okay, but like the, the Treehouse of Terror of Horror episodes with Kang and Kodos. Is Kodos like, oh, directly wow. named after Kodos, the executioner? Wow. Well, I need to, yeah, I'll have to do a bit of digging on that. It's like a very good name. They're just it. Kang and Kodos of cool alien names. I mean, possibly. Threatening but alien. I, I don't know. I just, like, every time I hear it through this episode, I just think of The Simpsons. Wow, I didn't even think about that at all. Yeah, fascinating. I love the, the Treehouse of Horror episodes are always my favorite. Yeah, there's some really good ones. So good. Um, actually, I was interested in, so Kirk, when he interacts with a computer, or a, a lot of them do, they, they talk to the computer and talk it through getting information. Now that we're actually a few decades into the future, do you know anyone that does that? Like they prefer to chat to their computer? Like maybe for really brief things, especially with like the Google Home and the Amazon Echo and that stuff. But like I have one of those and I basically just use it when I want to set a timer or ask the weather in the morning. Yeah. I would never I would never ask it for any like information. So you don't use it to gather information on war criminals? No. I mean I don't do that a lot anyway, <laughs> but I mean, it's never come up. So you don't spend much time chasing former SS officers down in Argentina? No, there's never been like a boys from Brazil. (laughs) I'm going to find out if these are like clones of Hitler. Yikes. Well, you've got your uh, Amazon Echo if you ever need it. (laughs) Yeah, it just strikes me as... Well, anyway, I, I guess from a TV point of view, it's more exciting to hear... A, you know, a, a conversation out loud than it is to see somebody just looking at text, I guess. Oh, definitely. Um, Kirk beams back to the planet for the cocktail party and we see Kirk cruising through the party with a blue cocktail glass and he's accompanied by what I would try and describe as a slow dance jazz version of the Star Trek theme. It's so good. <laughs> Very good. So it reminds me of maybe that Glenn Miller era sort of music, you know, he'd have his big hits like in the mood and then they'd do a slow dance number. So a young blonde actress from the theater company walks in and this is the actress that was playing Lady Macbeth. I do want to stress young because she is 19. Yeah. 
Is Lady, like the character Lady Macbeth, is she a lot younger than Macbeth? I don't know that it ever is stated. I've always, whenever I've seen it, she's always been an older woman. Like yeah. middle-aged, at least. And it's the, a really meaty role. Yeah. And, and the, the, the weird thing here is the actress is actually the daughter of the actor that plays Macbeth, the suspected war criminal. Um, so that's a bit odd. Um, yeah. Are, are there many, are there love scenes in Macbeth? I mean, there's not like any like sex scenes or anything. That's just not a thing that happened in Shakespeare. But, you know, it's still weird. Yeah, it's, it's odd. weird to cast your daughter as your wife. Yeah, that's, yeah, I guess that's true because this Anton Caridian is head of this Shakespeare company, so... Obviously, he'd be making the decision. So, yeah, weird. So, this blonde actress uh, walks into the room and Kirk grins from ear to ear. Like, it's the weirdest. Oh, it's so slimy. Yuck. Um, So, yeah, he has this massive smile. He's so excited. Um, So, he's good at multitasking. A second ago, he was investigating a war criminal. And uh, now they flirt like crazy and she ends up convincing Kirk to give her his drink. And, uh, they talk about how her father is Anton Caridian, who's absent from the party. And she says he never sees anyone personally and he never attends parties. And Kirk says, you know, an actor turning away admirers. That's very unusual. And then they flirt real hard and ditch the party and go for a romantic stroll outside and they're about to pash when. Uh, sorry, is passion a is pash a term in America? Or is that just a weird Australianism? I mean, it's not. It's not one we use. I think. I feel like most people would know what you meant. I feel. I'm thinking that's that's a thing in England as well. Yeah, I think. I think it's in the. I think where I first heard it was probably some UK TV show. Yeah, that's probably... So they're about to kiss when Kirk suddenly notices a body lying on the ground and that turns out to be Dr. Layton, who was went to town for something and he was on his way back to the party. Cut to inside, Mrs. Layton is extremely calm considering her husband's just been found dead uh, and she lays a blanket over her husband's body and says at least he has peace now. He never really had that before. And says, you know, you know, why was Tom killed if what he suspected wasn't true? And then Kirk commits that he'll he'll find out. Uh, Kirk radios the Astral Astral Queen, which is the ship that was supposed to take the actors to their next destination. And he asks the captain, who he's you know apparently good friends with already, um, not to pick up the actors. And, you know, the captain says, oh, he, he owes Kirk plenty of favours, so he agrees. And then later, Miss Caridian, uh, I, I didn't catch her name, actually. Her, did you catch her first name? I just, just... Oh, no, I didn't. The whole time, she just seems to be, you know, Anton Caridian's daughter. So I'll call her Miss Caridian or Miss K. She comes aboard the Enterprise to ask Kirk for a lift, uh, and she offers a free performance for the crew. We get shots of 
Kirk and Miss Kay cruising around the the Enterprise, flirting. Uh, oh, actually, no, before that, they they flirt on the bridge in front of all the officers, which is awkward. Uh, and we get a shot of Spock raising his eyebrow. Well, because Spock, when when they say that they're doing it, like gonna take this troop, Spock says that it's like eight light years out of their way or something, and. I feel like Kirk not telling Spock what's going on is a is just to add like one more layer of conflict that this episode didn't like need. Like from a logical standpoint, it makes no sense that Kirk doesn't tell Spock. Yeah, it just seems to be. I guess how they try and justify this, Kirk is unsure that this Anton is the war criminal Kodos and he is desperate to be a hundred percent sure before he even tells his first officer, which is odd. See, that doesn't look like, yeah. Like of all people go to Spock and be like, Hey, you're really smart. You'd be super good at figuring out whether this actually is this guy or not. Yeah. Which is weird. He does go, originally goes to Spock. He asked Spock about Dr. Layton just to see if, you know, he's reliable and logical. And you think I'd be going to Spock for everything. I'd demote myself and promote Spock. I mean, maybe not for emotional support. No, no. (laughs) Go to McCoy for that. And booze. Go to McCoy for booze. Oh, yeah. There's there's some good stuff coming up. As far as Spock or any of the officers know, Kirk is just diverting this course so he can spend more time with his date. With this 19-year-old. Oh, God. Um, And I love how Spock can communicate just volumes just by raising one eyebrow. Oh, man. Nimoy was just so good. Brilliant. So good. Um, so Kirk agrees to take them. Spock's concerned about the colony being eight years off, eight light years off course, not eight, not eight calendar years. That'll be full on. So Kirk consults the computer about eyewitness, eyewitnesses who could identify Kodos. There are nine survivors, including Kirk himself, Dr. Layton, who's dead now, and Kevin Riley, who's just been transferred from engineering to communications. Um, Kirk orders Spock to transfer Riley back to engineering, and he won't provide any explanation at all, which is very frustrating, and Spock's really concerned about Kirk's behavior now. So I love this bit. Spock goes to see McCoy in the sick bay because he's concerned about uh, Kirk's behavior. And McCoy, and he asked McCoy if he's noticed that Kirk's been acting weird. Um, McCoy is sitting down drinking sari and brandy and uh, being philosophical. <laughs> I love the, I love the cool bottle that sari and brandy comes in. Yeah, I really want one. I think there is a real, or there was a real brand of whiskey or something in the states that that used that bottle or a very similar bottle. Okay, I'll have to see if I can find it have to dig that up and mccoy's he's yeah he's he's just in the mood for a drink uh, he says negative do you know that this is the first time in a week that i've had time to for a drop of the true is that a is that a common expression I it's not what i've ever heard he definitely I'm, I'm certain he says true um the subtitles on netflix said a drop of the drew like the 
last name, people's surname Drew, which doesn't make any sense. I Googled Drop of the True and the only references I could find were people discussing about this exact scene from this episode. So I don't know if that's a oh, George, really? Georgian that's thing. Um, and he says, would you care for a drink, Mr. Spock? And Spock says, my father's race was spared the dubious benefits of alcohol. And McCoy says, oh, now I know why they were conquered. I think this is the first I've ever heard of Vulcans being conquered. I I wonder if that was put in because the next episode gets into the Romulans. And I wonder if that was included because of that. Yeah, we'll have to pay close attention next week. McCoy says, did it ever occur to you that Kirk might simply like the girl? And McCoy pours himself another drink and says, and please, Mr. Spock, if you won't join me, don't disapprove of me, at least not until you've tried it. McCoy is in a great mood. He's very happy. (laughs) He just wants to get hammered. (laughs) I love how he's like, is he... I'm trying... Is he... In like sick bay here? Yeah, he's just like just in his office, just sitting at just his desk in his desk by drinking. himself, getting hammered. I must admit, when I was I was watching this at night, and I thought, "Hang on!" I paused it, went and poured myself a whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Peer pressure. Man, I would drink with McCoy. That sounds oh, like hell so yeah. much fun. And Scotty, I think you'd have Definitely. a brutal hangover the day after drinking with Scotty. I just love it. Yeah, Scotty will drink anything <laughs> we get um i know later on we get oh man check off yeah so check off and um scotty have a big heated debate about which is better scotch or vodka oh okay so sari and brandy seems to be the drink of choice for the original series and then romulan ale is that something that creeps in in next generation or do we get that beforehand I, I mean, I don't know. It might happen beforehand. I know we get it a lot in Next Gen because they're always referring to the fact that it's illegal. Yeah. So that's the contraband equivalent of Cuban cigars, I guess. Yeah. And in, in Next Generation, they're mostly drinking Synthahol. Yeah. So no. So, no and I don't. Which I, I, I guess like doesn't get you drunk or something, which then seems like what's the point? It must do something. But yeah, it doesn't doesn't destroy your liver. Maybe it's just like a much milder effect or something. Yeah. So there you go. Sorry and Brandy then sit the whole we'll have to keep an eye out on when contraband Romulan ale comes in. Okay, so we cut to Kirk and Miss Caridian wandering the Enterprise flirting. Uh, Miss K asks if Kirk ordered the soft lighting and Kirk explains that on the Enterprise they try to duplicate Earth conditions of night and day. Uh, they flirt more and then they kiss again. Cut to Spock frowning on the bridge immediately, which I think is a good transition. Um, and he's consulting the computer about Riley, Leighton and Kirk to find out if they had any experience in, in common. Um, later, Sp- Spock is walking the corridors with McCoy and explaining what happened on Earth Colony Tarsus Four. Uh, the food supply was attacked by an exotic fungus and there were over 8,000 colonists and virtu- virtually no food. And that was when Governor Kodos seized full power and declared emergency martial law. Uh, Kodos began to separate the colonists. Some would live 
um, be rationed with whatever food was left. The remainder was immediately put to death. Uh, apparently, he had his own theories on eugenics. So a lot of parallels with the Nazis. Um, children watching their parents die, whole families destroyed, over 4,000 people. This is very heavy stuff for a one-hour sci-fi TV show in the sixties. Uh, now, do we know? Do we know exactly what Kirk was doing? No. There? So we know Kirk is an eyewitness, or Kirk is one of the few people that saw Kodos. So I don't know if Kirk rocked up with the supply ships or something, but as I understand, they you know they found Kodos dead and his body burnt. So, yeah, it's not really explained. It's just explained that Kurt okay. was an eyewitness to Kodos at some point. Maybe maybe he saw Kodos before all this happened. Don't know. Um, relief r- arrived, uh, but it was too late to present the executions. And for Kodos, there was never a positive identification of his body. With the exception of Riley and Kirk, every other eyewitness is dead. And my library computer shows that wherever they were on Earth, on a colony or aboard ship, the Caridian company of players was somewhere near when they died. So we know that <laughs> it's a pretty good database, this computer. It even tracks Shakespeare Company's movements around the galaxy. Uh, but we know that they were nearby when, when these eyewitnesses were killed off one at a time. Uh, we cut to Riley alone in engineering uh, and he calls the rec room on the communicator because he's bored and he's feeling blue because he's stuck down in engineering and doesn't know what he's done wrong. And Uhura sings him an, uh, a nice song and plays what I believe is the Vulcan harp. And uh, how good is... I always love whenever they make an excuse for her to how sing. How good is Nichelle Nichols? I mean, she has a gorgeous voice. Uh, so, Emily, you actually met Nichelle Nichols that plays Ahura. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. It was, um, I was a volunteer at Big Apple Comic Con, which doesn't really exist anymore, um, at least not in the format it did when I was doing it. But um, it was funny. It was funny. I was supposed to be, like, helping out on with panels, but I was walking around with the, with the organizer before the show as he was just walking the floor. And it happened to be right when Nichelle Nichols was driving to, to set up her table. And she's like, oh, can I get somebody to sit me with me this weekend? And I happened to, you know, be right behind the organizer when this happened. I'm like, I'll do it. And yeah, so I sat with her at her table for three days and like took money for autographs and photos and stuff and just talked with her fantastic what what sort of stuff do you talk about talk to nichelle nichols about you know she's just really nice it was you know i didn't want to i didn't want to ask her about star trek or anything because you know i don't want to bug her because and also because there's a whole line of people like coming up to ask her about that stuff so you know like we just sort of made small talk and she she you know because this was I had maybe been in New York for like two years and I was about to start a new job. Actually, the job I have now at this law firm. So she was asking me all about that. And then at the end of the weekend, she like tipped me 200 bucks and wrote me a really nice note being like, 
thank you for helping me. You know, good luck on the new job. That's lovely. That's a, that's an awesome story. Yeah, and I have an autographed. Uh, she let me, you know, pick out an eight by ten def autographed, and the one I got is uh, one of the ones from uh, the Mirror Universe. Wow, that's so cool. Episode. So cool. Did did she sing at all at that convention? She did. She didn't do like a performance or anything, but she did uh, at one point when somebody like came up to her at the table. She did a little bit of just like sort of like a vocalized version of the Star Trek theme. And I'm just sitting there like trying to keep my shit together. Oh, man. Was this in the age of camera phones? Like, could you whip your camera phone out? I suppose that'd be against the protocol. I mean, technically, I mean, technically, yes, but yeah, like I didn't. And also my phone was a really shitty like flip Ah, phone. nice. But she's really classy. Wow, that's so cool. That's very, very cool. But it's just neat to see like other people sort of come up and talk with her. You know, a lot of of, of women talking about how important she was to them, like growing up. She's very. She was very gracious. It was neat. So cool. So I know. I believe, was it? She was she considering leaving the show at one point, and Martin Luther King himself actually convinced her to stay. Yeah, she was going to leave. I think to to like do Broadway or something like that, and and he told her that it it was too important to have this powerful woman of color on the bridge of the enterprise. So she stayed. Wow. That's amazing. And it's, it's, uh, we're so lucky that she stayed and we got just as, as Star Trek fans that we got, um, you know, tremendous, tremendous performances from her in the movies as well. Um, but I, I know that she, I believe she was a big inspiration to Whoopi Goldberg growing up, just seeing an African-American woman on TV. And later on, that was a big part of uh, Whoopi's decision to be on the Next Generation series. And at the time, Whoopi was a massive uh, film actor and um, could have commanded a lot more money spending her time just doing movies. But um, she wanted to be a part of Star Trek because of that legacy. It's just fascinating. Yeah, it's really it's really cool to see how that happens. So cool, and it, it just shows how important getting representation. Yes, yeah. So I, I guess that's relevant nowadays when we talk about LGBTQIA representation in TV and movies, and we're starting to get that in Star Trek. Like in in Discovery, uh, we get a gay couple in the first series, uh, and it's brilliant to see that portrayed as just every, we get to see them in everyday life, just hanging out, just being everyday people, which is awesome. It's not, it's not done as a big deal, uh, which I think is what we need. We need to see that real representation. Where'd we get up to? Okay. So talking about Uhura's song, um, I like this. I liked it a lot better than the song we had early on when she was teasing Spock. I think it's just a better song. Oh, yeah. 
So meanwhile, while Riley's kicking back and listening to Ahura's song, a dark shadow creeps up behind Riley and a gloved hand <laughs> squirts a spray bottle into Riley's glass of milk. Riley uh, turns around later and picks up the milk and sculls it, or what I assume is milk anyway, space milk. It looks, yeah. And Uhura says over the intercom, how'd you like that, Riley? And all we get back from Riley is him choking and yelling, help me, please. And then the glass smashes and then we get dramatic milk spilling on the console. I was just going to say, I wonder how waterproof computers are in the 23rd century. Yeah, let's hope so. You get a lot of stuff spilled around and (laughs) a lot of... I mean, a lot of people, obviously on the bridge, you get a lot of people headbutting the console whenever they get, whenever they're in a <laughs> fight with another starship. So. I mean, they seem to explode pretty easily, but. Apart from that, maybe the exterior is fairly tough. Um, okay, so in the sick bay, McCoy is not sure if he can save Riley. Um, the lab results show he was poisoned with a starship lubricant called Tetralubisol. Uh, Spock orders McCoy to um, present his report to Kirk immediately. And in Kirk's office, um, McCoy is presenting on Riley's condition. Spock reveals he's figured out what's going on. And Kirk is weird about it and says he doesn't like Spock prying into his personal business. And uh, Spock reminds Kirk that almost certainly an attempt will be made to kill you. Why do you invite death? And Kirk says he's interested in justice. And McCoy says, are you sure? Are you sure it's not vengeance? And Kirk says, no, I'm not sure. I wish I was. I've done things I've never done before. I've placed my command in jeopardy. From here on, I've got to determine if Caridian is Kodos. And Spock says he is, which would be enough for me. But Kirk says uh, he has to be certain I saw him once 20 years ago. Men change. Memory changes. Logic is not enough. I've got to feel my way, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but there we go. McCoy says, uh, what if you decide he is Kodos? What then? Do you play God? You carry his head through the corridors and triumph? That won't bring back the dead, Jim. And Kirk says no, but they may rest easier. So we get some interesting moral quandaries. Um, after McCoy leaves, they hear the humming of a phaser on overload and uh, Kirk notifies the bridge that's a phaser on overload in his quarters and if it blows, it'll take out the entire deck, evacuate all personnel in this quadrant. Double red alert. <laughs> Do we ever hear that before or since? I've never heard of that. It's awesome though. It's exciting. It's like double secret probation or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's just ridiculous. Double red alert. Um, Kirk orders Spock to evacuate and then finds the phaser at the last minute and chucks it in the garbage chute. Uh, what I assume is a garbage chute. I'm guessing that ejects it into space. Well, yeah, it says, it says like, ventilation or something like that. Yeah. So, pretty exciting. Kirk confronts Caridian in his quarters and says, um, are you Kodos? And Caridian says, do you believe I am? And Kirk says, I do. And Caridian says, then I am. 
I am an actor. I play many parts. Kirk tells Crittian to read into the intercom uh, an old transcript of Kodos's speech when he took power. Then Kirk will use the computer to compare his speech to voice film they have on file of Kodos. Kodos and Kirk debate back and forth and Kodos breaks into what sounds like Shakespeare to me um, and then says, have you gotten what you want, Captain? If I had gotten everything I wanted, you might not walk out of this room alive. And then Kirk turns to leave and then suddenly uh, Miss Crittian emerges from another room and calls out Captain Kirk and tells her father, you better rest now. Uh, There's a stain of cruelty on your shining armour, Captain. You could have spared him and me. You talked of using tools. I was a tool, wasn't I? A tool to use against, a, a tool to use against my father. Kirk says, in the, be- in the beginning, perhaps, but later, I wanted it to be more than that. Miss Crittian says, you are like your ship, powerful and not human. There is no mercy in you. And Kirk says, if he is Kodos, then I've shown him more mercy than he deserves. If he isn't, then I'll let you off at Benicia and no harm done. So in the sick bay, McCoy is updating his medical log and uh, he's talking to the computer saying lieutenant riley has sufficiently recovered to be discharged but the captain has ordered him restricted to sick bay to prevent contact with passenger who calls himself caridian and who's suspected of being kodos the executioner and of murdering the lieutenant's family and of course riley overhears this and then runs off and leaves sick bay so we cut to the free performance that's still going ahead as scheduled uh there is a very small audience for this play. Like it's just, <laughs> even though how they have a stage set up, basically it's like in a hallway or a bunker or something. Um, Miss Caridian introduces Hamlet and Kirk and Spock are in Kirk's office. They have a match for the voice identification, but not an exact match. McCoy is getting ready to leave sick bay to go to the play and realizes Riley's gone. Uh, weapons locker has been broken into and Kirk instructs security to find and restrain Riley. Kirk heads backstage at the play and finds Riley armed with a phaser and tries to reason with him. And Riley's just shocked. He's saying that face, that voice, I know it. And Kirk eventually disarms him. Yeah, and this is all intercut with um, this Hamlet scene. Yes, it's pretty intense. How do you rate the Shakespeare delivered in this episode? I mean, it's pretty... The the Macbeth at the beginning is terrible. Nice. I love Um, terrible. This is still... I mean, this is still pretty bad. It's so... It's so, like, melodramatic. I am doing Shakespeare... (laughs) Awesome. And how about the Hamlet? Is that any better? Yeah, no. I mean, the Hamlet's a little bit better, but not not a lot. Nice. And and it just, I think part of it, once you already get the sort of the melodramatic Shakespeare with the already melodramatic Star Trek, like the, we're getting into the last scenes here and they are pretty unbearable. So... We're at intermission and um, Miss Caridian is backstage talking to 
Caridian or Kodos. Um, and she says, tonight after our performance, the last two who could harm you will be gone. And Caridian says, what are you saying? And Miss Kay says, there were nine. Now there are only two. And Caridian says, what have you done? And Miss Kay says, what had to be done? They had to be silenced. And Caridian says, all of them, all seven, more blood on my hands. And Miss Kay says, don't you see? All the ghosts are dead. I've buried them. And then Caridian tells his daughter she was the one thing in his life untouched by what, I'd, what he'd done. And Miss Kay suddenly notices Kirk watching them and Kirk's heard everything. And then she breaks into some more Shakespeare and refers to Kirk as Caesar. And then Crudian confesses finally. And uh, Miss Kay pleads with Kirk to let them complete the second act of the play. And then she just freaks out and steals a phaser from a security officer and rushes onto the stage and rants, Caesar, beware the Ides of March. And then uh, Caridian dives in front of, or steps in front of Kirk at the last minute and takes her phaser blast. And then Miss Kay screams when she realizes she's killed her father and um, Kirk uh, easily takes back the phaser. And then at this point I've written, Miss Kay says more Shakespeare bullshit, blah, 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 because I'm over it at this point. It's, I mean, she is so terrible. It, it, and they it doesn't help that they do this, you know, the classic, like, 60s, like, super tight zoom in on her face with the crazy eyes. Yeah. So she's completely insane at this point is what they're... And it's just, it's a shame because, one, I feel like this twist is really good. Yeah. Yeah, it would have turned out really her all along. And if it was just, if you just took, a, if you had a better actress and took it down about 12 notches <laughs> and had like a, so I think this is much better if it's really calm. Yeah. Like if she, if she stays really calm here, that's much more unsettling. Yeah. And I would think much more powerful. Like this is really good stuff. It's just, it's so hard to appreciate that because it's underneath such a hammy performance. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. Initially, I was thinking it would be better if she was just in shock and just wasn't like massively overacting and ranting Shakespeare still. Um, yeah, they're really trying to hammer hammer home. She'd <laughs> be awesome if she broke the fourth wall and just said, this show is about Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, I think you're right. If she was completely cold and unrepentant, that would be chilling. And then we cut the Kirk on the bridge. We hear music. As the scene opens, I'm pretty sure the strings are playing the first few notes of When I Fall in Love, which is a standard sung by Doris Day and Nat King Cole back in the day. Okay. Which is interesting. Um, and then McCoy presents his medical report on Miss Kay and says she'll receive the best of care, Jim. Uh, she remembers nothing. She even thinks her father's still alive and giving performances before cheering crowds. So that's how we end the show with Kirk mourning the loss of this 19-year-old girl that he fell in love with while he's supposed to be investigating war crimes. So 
but I do for like two days. Yeah, yeah, interesting. They try and, gosh, they try and milk a lot out of this one hour. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Well, that's uh, that's the conscience of the king. So um, please email us in and let us know your thoughts on this episode. I'd love to hear people's thoughts on Shakespeare as well. Now that I'm not a bored fifteen-year-old in high school, should I should I go back in on Shakespeare? I mean, there's there's plenty of of good stuff there. It's just sort of finding the the good versions. Yeah, well, I'll I'll start with uh, I'll track down that Patrick Stewart uh, film of Macbeth. That'll be my that'll be my gateway into Shakespeare. That's really good. And my other like all-time favorite film adaptation of Shakespeare is Julie Taymor did one of Titus Andronicus. Uh, the, the movie version is just called Titus, and it is um, Anthony Hopkins nice. in the lead. And um, it's got, it's got um, Alan Cumming... And a bunch of other people in is it's also just because it's Julie Tamar, it just looks freaking gorgeous. And that's a really dark, really bloody play. Awesome. You got me sold with those actors. So let's open up the mailbag. Have you received any subspace transmissions this week? Communications yes. officer Emily. <laughs> we got one from our friend Catherine, a frequent writer who we are always happy to hear from and guest on the show and probably future guest on the show. Yes. And this one is titled the menagerie, which we did last week. And it says, hello, he's debtors. The menagerie is an interesting episode to watch comparing the two enterprise crews side by side and how Leonard Nimoy portrayed Spock differently in the two versions. It's an interesting way to use the original pilot and to bring it into Canon. Spock was able to fake transmissions way too easily. Spock can do everything. Plus, number one is pretty gay. Catherine. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, I think we, with that one, we there would definitely be some massive security overhauls right across Starfleet after that. <laughs> <laughs> Need some better voice print identification. Well, and it's funny because... This week we learned that they have this voice match where even if this dude uses a completely like d- different voice to read out this speech, the enterprise computer will be able to tell whether it matches or not. Yeah, it was interesting. They did say it was a match, but not a hundred percent match, and they didn't go into detail as to why. I guess the guy's twenty years older. Yeah, it is. We talked about this a little, like. A little bit when we actually, when we did the cage, which is they hadn't really decided on Spock's character back then. Yeah, and we see that, yeah, obviously that this was a a very early episode. So, yeah, they haven't quite figured out. Like, yeah, Spock seems, it's interesting. Spock seems pretty impulsive in this episode, but yet it seems to be all quite logical and quite planned out. He's just following the, by the time we get to the end of the episode and get all the reveals, he's sort of just following a, uh, a plan and a procedure he's put together. 
I try to remember like where I where I heard this because it was sometime in the past week or so, but it was somebody pointing out that how how much they talk about Vulcans using logic and suppressing emotion, they sure seem irritated a lot. Yeah. Like, that's the one emotion they don't suppress, is irritation. Yeah, you're right. They definitely they, they definitely have emotions. They don't not have emotions. Yeah. Yeah, we know it's the, it's the sort of the cultural learned thing. And they do meditation and ritual and things to help them keep their emotions under control. So I guess, yeah, that's why it's so... <laughs> Spock raising a single eyebrow has so much impact. Very cool. Thank you, Catherine. A few weeks ago, we got an email from Darren Lutchner saying he's invented a drinking game. Every time I say um, weird stuff like that's fascinating, seems to be one of my one of my um, quirks. Uh, and we suggested at the time uh, we were recapping the Miri episode, and uh, McCoy um, holds up a, a beaker which hopefully uh, contains the the antidote or the, the vaccine to the virus, terrible virus that's about to kill them all. And he holds it up and says, well, this could be a vaccine or it could be a beaker full of death. Um, so we suggested at the time that um, maybe we can come up with uh, an official podcast cocktail for he, He's Dead Jim called Beaker Full of Death. Uh, oh, so yeah. just put up on Instagram. I'll throw it up on the other socials, but uh Chime in and uh, let us know what you what ingredients you think should go into our cocktail. Um, Linda Moulton, friend of the show, um, chimed in and said uh, ingredients should be Romulan ale, dilithium crystal extract, and gin. Uh, I have <laughs> I have only one of those ingredients in the pantry. <laughs> Very cool, but yeah, let us know. Hit us up on. Um, the socials we're at he's dead Jim pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, and, uh, yeah, let us know, um, what ingredients should go in beaker full of death cocktail. The other thing I just put up that we talked about briefly last episode is, uh, William Shatner's spoken word version of, uh, rocket man that he performed at the Hugo awards. Uh, so pop that up on our Facebook page and our Twitter. Uh, which if you haven't seen it, it's something you need to witness at least once in your lifetime. Yeah, it's an experience. It's an experience. It certainly is. So be interested to hear your feedback. Um, obviously, like Shatner had a bit of a spoken word career for years and then sort of came back doing it ironically. I know he did a song with Ben Folds um, in more still years ago, but more recent years. Um, so yeah, let us know. Is there a particular spoken word William Shatner song that you're a fan of? And of course, yeah, any questions for the show or any any thoughts and opinions you'd like to share with us, email us he's uh, dead Jim Pod at gmail.com. Emily, where can we track you down this week? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at EFLind. That's at E-F-L-I-N-D. And if you are interested in Star Wars as well as Star Trek, I have a podcast that I do with my friend Brittany called The Cantobite Dispatch. And we are sitting down this weekend to record our 50th episode. So Congratulations. 
yeah, it doesn't quite seem real yet, but somehow. That's awesome. Well done. Thank you. Uh, and if you've got time, guys, please jump on iTunes and give us a five-star review. That uh, will help awesome people like you find out about the podcast. Um, I'll read a couple of uh, reviews from the Australian iTunes. Uh, user Minxy814 says, Great to see a Trek podcast that delves into each episode and gives a bit of insight into the story, production, and celebrates the general weirdness of original Trek. Great to see it all done with a bit of Aussie flavour also. Thanks so much. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. Uh, and Emily, you're an honorary. I, I declare you to be an honorary Aussie as well. <laughs> okay. User Cholena says, uh, so enjoyable. Uh, Mick and Emily present a really fun look at the original series of Star Trek. I'm using it as an excuse to rewatch along with them. Thanks so much. Oh, great. I love hearing that people are doing that. Yeah, yeah. I have a few people um, hit me up saying that even people have never been into Star Trek and they're watching along. So that's cool. So thanks so much. So glad to hear you're enjoying the show. And um, if you've got five minutes, please jump on to like those awesome people did and drop us a five-star review. That would be great. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you very much, Emily, for talking Trek with me again. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.